Hey Kunal, how did you enjoy the exhibition Formula One showrun in Baku this weekend? Was it fun? My goodness, I never thought of it that way. That it was just a showrun. It was a showrun. There was just cars was running around. Well, technically, there were two races and two qualifying sessions. And uh, I know you normally do the in- introduction, but I'm going to try and do that my way. Hey, go for it. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. Along with me is Samuel Arora, a broadcasting prodigy in the world of motorsport. I'm Kunal Shah and we bring to you the 2023 Azerbaijan Grand Prix Crib View, right? And I mean <laughs> Crib View. What are, what are we going to talk about in the in this review episode? I mean, there are lots of top points, lots of banter points. Don't tune out yet, basically. This is yeah, don't, yeah, don't tune out. Yeah, yeah. But literally, it's going to be a session of a scribbing and literally just that. I mean... What all do we have to crib about Samil? You know, I, I, I don't I don't really understand. Okay, let me put it this way. In the preview episode, we said this is the land of fire. Can we crib about the fact that F1 drivers and teams actually tamed the land of fire? Because there was no chaos where nobody ordered chaos. Nobody ordered entertainment. And mind you, it was a great race, great display of driving, apart from... Russell Verstappen for those three corners, which Max Verstappen was sort of overreacting on. Mm. But yeah, that's it. Who would have thought (laughs) that when we had two races and two qualifying sessions, the most entertaining part of the entire weekend would be one person calling the another one a piece of human genitalia. I didn't imagine that coming (laughs) to the weekend. That wasn't on the menu, basically. But hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm so confused with this one. Sergio Perez has won at a street race. Again, let's just get it out in the air. But, you know, it's so not surprising at this stage, Kunal, that Christian Honor has come out in the media and he said, oh yeah, that's great. Checo is a great driver. What a great win by Checo. But he now needs to do it on normal circuits as well. He's basically just <laughs> echoed. He's for the first time ever, Christian Honor has said something correct on the media. But I don't know what to do. Should we celebrate Checo's win because it doesn't really come off or should we just be like, oh, we know this happens. Can you just do it in a... Normal circuit as well and give us some sort of title challenge? Let's call up Checo Perez's sports psychologist and tell him to help Checo visualize walls at every circuit. Tell him, Checo, there are no runoff areas, no gravel traps, just walls everywhere. Every corner is eventually a 90-degree corner, either less than a 90 (laughs) or more than a 90-degree corner. But, you know, we've called it a crib view, but it's going to be a banter, banter view, banter episode, because there are lots of things to crib about. Mercedes, I don't know why I said Mercedes, just, you know, the the minute I think dominance, I'm still in that hangover of Mercedes dominance. But yeah, (laughs) first point to crib about, um, Red Bull's dominance. Second point we can crib about, how the FIA made yet another error with the whole pit lane fiasco. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what what else? Of course, we have the sprint or no sprint format to crib about as well. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think we should give some good time to that one because I think it's a really fun discussion. Uh, let's not put Ferrari in that crib list because it's been so many years to the point where cribbing is just now the new normal. So I, if we're doing a specific crib view, let's just not go down that route. Disappointment is fine. It is normal. It's okay. But I think second is still good, by the way. Huh? Uh, wait, no. Second in the sprint is still good, by the way. The race was going to be... For a second, I really forgot that Sunday even happened. And I know for a fact that I, I, most of you feel the same way. Everyone apart from the organizer of the race who must have panicked when they saw 
so many photographers at the pit lane entry but correct me if i'm wrong here kunal it's normal practice photographers tend to do that on the last lap because nobody tends to really pit on the last lap unless you're michael schumacher at the british gp in 1998 but realistically it's it was always meant to happen at some point a driver would have stopped over there it just happened and we just saw a replay of the old group b rally scenes where there were just fans and photographers and every sort of person with the with the right id stuck in the middle of the pit lane it was meant to happen at some point but what do you even do from here who do you fire can you just oh, oh no i know i know i know it's since it's an fia issue they'll come out 8 months later put out a big grand 40 page report that says hey it was not meant to happen it's not the right thing but we won't fire the person who made it happen and the fia race control actually pulled up the fia representatives uh post race and you know sort of brought them in for an inquiry and the likes but yeah it's it's not the photographer's um, problem or their their mistake this is standard practice they go down that's how we get all the celebratory photos that we sort of share some most of the times without giving credits to the photographer and the likes yeah. right so they were supposed to be there it was just one of those fiascos again i mean the organizers were actually putting a barricade through the fast lane of the pit lane imagine esteban ocon driving in for a pit stop only to realize that oh my god i can't even cross because there's a barricade that could have been even that that could have been fun for tv wouldn't yeah. it have been so but yeah. you you mentioned michael schumacher last lap british grand prix let's remember last year alexander alban also did a pit stop on the last lap in australia we so suddenly started calling him the tire whisperer i don't know where that came from <laughs> something from the media but at that time also somil fans were blocking the pit lane it is yeah. a bit disappointing that the fia has repeated the same error of course different organizers different representatives etc etc but they shouldn't i mean given their relentless pursuit of safety they should have been fixed last year point blank period no comments yeah simply i think it just has to end there what what else can you say about this whole issue right basically not that it's just so silly when you think about it right uh, it was meant to happen at some point because photographers need to find a way to go there mechanics will be mechanics full of testosterone and adrenaline uh, wait i've done it again adrenaline i think when you're in the flow you can't say that word properly it just happens with so many people <laughs> but yeah and everyone's a- yeah exactly everyone's so full of adrenaline hey neil that they will eventually go to the wall what can you do i mean the fia put out a regulation saying don't do that and i remember i was the first person to come up with a completely displeasure tweet saying what are you going to ban now you're even going to ban champagnes because they can go to someone's eye but again now that i think about it when you see it happen it makes sense so big ups to the fia for once big downs to the fia for not sort of clamping it down in a way but But. the red bull team wall was at the pit wall or yeah the red bull team was actually seen celebrating on that wall which they are not supposed to go on so i'm assuming something's going to come out some other inquiry or something and the lead up to miami there are pictures that i saw that the red bull team was actually on the pit wall celebrating mm. a checo win anyway one sec one sec is yeah, the biggest yeah. controversy now going to be in formula 1 kunal did red bull racing lean slightly over the wall was it in the regulations can you only lean out of your front shoulder and not your left shoulder <laughs> or something or the other but it's red bull they've gotten away with doing stuff that's not in the law oh, anyway. yeah that's true yeah. i mean <laughs> it's 7 minutes in 8 minutes in the most interesting part of the broadcast or interesting part of the race was we actually had a fire alarm go off during our race broadcast uh, preparations 
luckily it was just one of those things that nothing happened but we were just like oh my god baku something always happens and it always did mm-hmm. just that it happened before the race and not during the race but i must say once let's, let's, maybe let's, i, I yeah. think you know that that was sort of like a what do you call it a premonition of sorts maybe a oh i'm forgetting the exact word for it but it somewhere is the baku gp in a way it's sort of like a fire alarm where we all expected hey two sprints walls chaos but then nothing happened wow that's the perfect analogy oh my goodness we should use this fire alarm on analogy so many times in in our <laughs> episodes but but i mean look let's i'm going to get a little serious you know i read a lot of tweets football matches go 0 0 people still enjoy it people still crave does every race need to be an entertainment and excitement the truth is no it doesn't you know 0 0 matches are still good it you know shows the potential of attacking defending the quality all of that like i said at the start of the episode great driving quality nobody sort of made mistakes it was literally like everybody was waiting for somebody else to make a mistake and guess what it was just nick de freese who made the mistake people were just slapping the walls a little bit but again nothing nothing to serious that that happened uh it was it was actually great quality of driving that sort of you know did that i think they were held back by the tires pirelli brought the softest compounds but yep. you know the hard tire literally went 99 98.7% of the race or something like that so the softest compounds are still the hardest sometimes you just have a race like this and sometimes you just have a weekend like this where the only highlight was George Russell being on the inside of Max Verstappen on the opening lap of the sprint and yeah. you know Max Verstappen's overreaction to that moment uh, was my highlight i would say and then Max Verstappen's underreaction to losing the grand prix to Perez because of the safety car was the other highlight he was he was like oh my god max is going to be furious about this and he was not and oh my god max what are you furious about and he kept going on and on and on and i think one of the reasons why this incident just blew up is because there was literally nothing else of interest happening on track oh no oh the, i disagree actually there were a couple of really interesting things that were happening esteban ocon like not doing anything at all basically was one thing but what was also interesting was lewis hamilton having genuinely good pace he was comparable with let's say carlos sainz of ferrari and we know that if one ferrari can do such a good job i thought that the again i'm just that's just my frustration with carlos sainz as in general it's just why can the man not extract that much pace out of that car it's very surface level i know there are other factors as well but it's it's a glaring glaring problem right there you need two drivers getting the best out of the car so i was very excited to see lewis hamilton get up there nearly get past and that was interesting to watch but i'll come back to the whole russell verstappen part because we're on mercedes sort of we were on that sort of tangent anyway <laughs> you're already calling it an overreaction kunal but by max i am and you know uh, i i i'm in this space where uh you know at the at the end of the day the, it was interesting to see russell and you know okay, I'll, i'll i think when i was discussing this incident with mithra it was like max and russell had a tussle that's how we put it that's how hey, bored we well got done. at some point <laughs> well done. that's a dad that's a dad joke just out there right but you know george russell kept his helmet on while max was still you know removing his helmet the adrenaline i got it right for once uh, was flowing and you know he was shouting you know whatever we know what he shouted but 
and then Russell was asked saying why did you leave your helmet on and he said I've seen what's happened with Ocon before with with Max so it was uh-huh. one of those things again you know those those things that should have been played up more on 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 TV but anyway the the talking of Mercedes you know in Brazil last year when they won their only race of the season they got the one free practice session set up challenge right in Baku this year Toto Wolff admitted that they did not get their setup right. They they've sort of went the wrong way. Carlos Sainz got impacted as well. So in a way, mm-hmm. a lot of the performances that we were hoping to see and we didn't see were because people didn't get their setup right. We saw what happened with the new soft regulation for the shootout Q3 or the SQ3 as we were calling it. Lando Norris made it to top ten but didn't have it. You know, yeah, let, let's let's get to to sprint or not to sprint, right? And I I I think I think it's. At least my view is it's great to have sessions where everything, something or the other is always happening. It's wonderful. Mm. It's great for the fans. It's great for the broadcasters. But let's remember, there are there is a there is a reality of Formula One, which we need to keep in mind, that it's the teams and drivers that make things happen, make things happen, and not the rules and regulations and the sessions. And, you know, if the sprint rules were written in a way that they have been written, the teams have still found a way to make it as boring as they can because they are here to race and score points, right? Yeah. And similarly, let's look at Pirelli. I spoke of Pirelli data and information, right? And Pirelli makes the tires, which is why, you know, Mario Isola always has a view on what the optimal strategy should or shouldn't be. But the teams are the ones who use the tires. They are the ones who have actual session information, which is why the teams always have a different view than what Mario Isola usually has. So, I think the the sprint needs to be written in a way or or dealt in a way where the teams feel excited enough to say, we're going to go give it all we can. And, you know, something as simple as maybe there should be points awarded for every finishing position because then there's something in it for everybody even outside of top eight. But lots of things that will happen. I don't know what the eventual future is going to be apart from Max Verstappen walking away if there are too many changes to this format. No, but fun fact, uh, Sundaram F1 stats guru just came up with another amazing stat that Max is the only person to score a point in every single sprint race that's happened so far. And I think it'll maintain as well because you have now more points finishers, but again, the pass cannot be changed. But on that front as well, I quite liked it. Initially, I was, of course, against it. I still am very much against it. It's, It's something interesting to have here and there if I'm being very very objective because it kind of makes a Formula 1 weekend like a rally and if you haven't really watched a rally I think it's one of the most rewarding experiences when you see many uh, when you see a big war divided into many tiny battles so you keep on tracking the progress okay who's won battle X let's say stage number one who's won stage two who's won stage three so it feels more rewarding as a viewer when you get to the very end you're like okay I've seen the entire battle now I know who's stronger in one area who's stronger in the other one and then you just feel a little bit more connected to the sport in that way. And I like that there are two qualifying sessions and two races where we got to see something different in that front, where it was essentially the same cars going around the same circles and similar temperatures, but there were changes here and there, which made you feel involved as as a as an audience member, which was which was fun in my opinion. But again, the reality of it, way too many races, Kunal, and it dilutes the final product as well, in my opinion. So well, yeah, and, and sort of like Toto Wolf has been very vocal against this format. And, you know, I'm sure Formula One has learned their lessons. 
few sporting changes that will come is on the use of soft tires, whether it's a new or a used one. I think points changes could also be one or points being awarded, for for example, could also be one. Maybe Park Ferme changes could be the other as well. Right now, cars are locked in from Friday till the Sunday. And that's what once you're on the back foot, you're just on the back foot and then yeah. you're just sort of gone. So not all changes, but some Park Ferme changes could happen. But um I think another very interesting highlight since we were on this whole sprint and and stuff, and you mentioned Ferrari, Mercedes, you know, Aston Martin, we got to still talk of Mercedes' pace, Ferrari's pace and Aston Martin. They were so closely matched in Baku that again, their finishing positions were all based on who had track position. To give you an example, Lewis Hamilton had track position in the Grand Prix to finish where he did. But in the sprint, he lost position to Sainz and uh, Alonso at the restart. And then he couldn't gain them back. Right? Similarly, when, when Russell overtook Stroll in the pit lane, he kept position on track, but then he made a mistake and Stroll got him back and he couldn't get the position back. So Mm. track position in this whole battle for P2, very, very vital. Also highlighting overtaking is still very difficult and you know russell's pit lane yeah russell's pit lane overtake reminded me of fettel from china in 2016 when the safety car is actually on the racetrack but not in the pit lane so pit lane is standard racing conditions so so interesting to to see you know you know drivers know the rule book and doing what they're doing so yeah i agree but nothing hides the fact that the cars are still not there yet it Oh, absolutely. It, yeah, it's such a such a pain point because when you have MotoGP just five minutes after Formula 1 ends and they're delivering such a cracking product, when all the MotoGP insiders, by the way, will tell you, oh, this is the worst that MotoGP has ever been in. The bikes are so aerodynamic, you can't pass. But you're still having 40 good passes every single race, competitive close racing. I'm not saying that Formula 1 should be like MotoGP. It's never been like MotoGP. It can't be like MotoGP. But the core ethos of the series is completely different. But... Essentially, even if a circuit like Baku ends up struggling for making passes, when you've sort of come up with the best possible aerodynamic concept, I think then something's also going wrong because you can't physically get a track much wider than this. So what are you going to do? Essentially, that's what that's what's on my yeah. mind. But I, 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 you know, I'm in this space where if they really want to pursue an interesting sprint solution on Saturday, why don't you just give everybody? the same car and the same engines and the same tires and say, go, mm. like, treat the Grand Prix as a Friday, Sunday, and on a Saturday, like, give everybody the equal machinery that everybody would love to sort of have in Formula 1. Let the driver make the difference. Like, detach the the Saturday completely from the Sunday outcomes because so many drivers were scared. You know, you crash and there's a financial penalty that the team will pay. You'll crash, maybe your car won't be ready whatever, whatever that that sort of happens. But enough of this format. We can't really change it. Although now we know how Formula One will sort of change it. Um, I'm going to go on on that. Actually, on the sprint format, I want to talk a little bit about the Russell Verstappen point. I know we touched upon it a second ago. I know what you think about it in calling Max's thing an overreaction. But I want to just build upon that. I am amazed by how mature Max has become in the car. His performances have been superb. His consistency is on another level. If you've been following him since 2015, you know that this guy has just skyrocketed to another level of performance. But, but how, how can you not take something that you dish out yourself? I'm sorry, blatantly, very, very simply. It's the same sort of driving that Max does. But I read this tweet somewhere from some journalist. I think it was Chris Metlin. I'm not really sure. But someone said that 
this psychological battle between Russell and Verstappen is so amazing because here's one person, Russell, trying to say, okay, you can't take me as a soft competitor. But the other ones, the, the king of the jungle, the lion basically wants to come up and say, don't you dare try and challenge me. And this sort of battle, this sort of psychological game is why we watch Formula One, which was so interesting to me. But again, when does it happen when you have cars that are going side by side and that can compete with each other? So it's not that the, the Formula One is flawed. It's just that we can do a little bit better with the cars, I think. Talking of psychological battle, Checo Perez launched another psychological battle against Max Verstappen. Right? Oh, did he? Uh, yeah, he said after the race, he said, I could have won the race even without a safety car. So that was point number one. Point number two is, oh, I'm absolutely still in the title battle. And, you know, the results like this will only motivate me that much further, right? And no, no. He said one this. Sec, one sec, sorry, Kunal. We, we've been here before. We were here exactly last year. Do you remember what a Baku GP review title was? Welcome, Baku, was it? Or no, no, I it was some, something along the lines that, hey, do we now have a championship fight? We're not going to make that same mistake again, are we? Wow. No, well, I'll put it this way. He looks closer than ever before, which is great. But, I'll, I'll, you know, 2016 is a great example to sort of talk about from here, right? And the the example is such that uh, the example is Nico Rosberg actually won the title because of reliability issues. Of course, he drove fantastically well to be as close to as matched against Lewis Hamilton. But there's a reason why, you know, Max Verstappen has also been saying that reliability will play a key part in this title battle because all you need, let's, let's, let's imagine Baku. All you need is, you know, uh, George Russell driving into Max Verstappen. Max is in the wall, turn two or whatever that happened, uh, or turn three. I can't remember. Anyway. And then, Max has suddenly lost eight points to Checo, right? And then another point of, you know, another point in the season, he has another power unit failure, something failed, whatever, and he loses another 25 points. So if Checo keeps being as close as he's being, all it takes is one error, one mistake, one crash, one reliability issue, and suddenly the the title battle just swings the other way. And which is also Mm -hmm. why Max is so against these formats, because he realizes he has so much more to lose Whereas somebody else like Russell has literally nothing to lose. I mean, GP, uh, which is Ma- who's Max's race engineer, went into Max's ears on the radio and said, "Max, don't worry; these guys have nothing to lose." And he was literally, you know, yeah. motivating him that way. So it's it's that's the whole psychological battle. I love. I would love to see Checo remain in the fight for as long because I get a feeling the more Checo remains in the fight for longer the more it sort of irks Max in different yes. ways. And, and uh, you know, given that there is, you know, there, there is almost nobody who's not Mexican who will agree that Max is definitely the better talent in, in the Red Bull, right? But I still, I still want Checo to keep pinning in, to keep, you know, irking Max as he can, to keep there in the fight. I know this is where all the Dutch listeners are going to rate us badly, but doesn't matter. I, I'm just saying what I think is great for Formula One. No, no. But the point being, that will actually push Max to another level. Because so yeah. far this year, it's kind of funny how there have been many races where not Max's fault, 100%, but there have been things that haven't quite worked out in his favor. Jeddah instantly comes to mind. Yeah. There's then this one as well. There are chances for Sergio Perez to legitimately get in there. And with these sort of cars... Passing has been a little tricky. Of course, Max had that issue as well. Uh, Credit where it's due. He drove fantastically even with that differential issue he spoke about. So, the fact that he was still close by is quite something. But the point being, Sergio's not that far off. 
and reliability will play a point when you've got 23 races and then what six sprints as well yeah absolutely i mean i'm where are we looking at all races on all sprints being won by red bull one doesn't know one doesn't care as long as there's a great battle at the end of the day for me yeah. and you spoke reliability the you know again Everybody's been saying, now I'm switching to Aston Martin because, hey, Aston Martin needs to be spoken about, wants to be spoken about, especially Fernando Alonso. Uh, everybody's been saying this year's Aston Martin is similar to last year's Red Bull Racing car. And then everybody also points out how they are still very different than Fallows, ex-Red Bull, now in Aston Martin, all those things. Now, they had DRS issues this year in Baku. Which was the one team and car that had DRS, issue, DRS issues last year and the year before last? That was Red Bull, right? So just, I'm not drawing any conclusions, just leaving a hint out there. But, you know, Fernando Alonso was so brilliant. He actually went onto the radio 14 laps to the end and he asked his race engineer, how many laps to go? And he says, 14. And then Alonso says, that's a great number. Let's continue to push. And I was just like, my goodness, this guy is such an entertainer. Just the way he was, you know, giving, you know, break bias instructions to to Lance Stroll uh, on radio saying, you know, these settings are working for me. Ask him to use them. And you know, it could mean two things. First is either Alonso is, you know, not scared of Stroll at all, which I'm pretty sure which he is isn't. True, yeah. yeah, which is true. Or he just wants to showcase he's a bigger person. You're looking for a team management role at Aston Martin and all of that, right? <laughs> the funnier part, of course, when Stroll turned around and told the team, don't worry, I want to attack Fernando. The truth is Fernando's always holding his tires into good stead. You know, he knew it's Lance behind. I don't need to bother. But statistically, before we go to F1 Stats Guru Stats, Fernando Alonso has scored 60 points over four races. He has scored 15 points in every race. No more, no less. So if, whether he's on the podium, not on the podium, sprint race, Grand Prix edition, he's got 60 points out there. He has. And it, it's interesting. Fernando Alonso this weekend has not said to Lance Stroll, you're on your own, kid. There's no bad blood between them. I like it. It's very nice. Yeah. No? The one person on his own, actually, this weekend. I know you alluded to it, but I think Ferrari had a great weekend, Somal. You know, they had pole, which is great. At least on Leclerc's side, they deliver a fantastic race. They knew what they were capable of, and they sort of stuck to that. And, I mean, yes, I think Leclerc had two or maybe four highlight moments. Of course, the two pole positions that he got, right? And then the second, I would say, was when he actually saw Cat on track. And the the transcriber, I'm sure there is a tool that transcribes audio to text, mm. thought of it as a cut. And everybody's wondering, oh, my God, did he just have a cut on his tire? You know, mm. and then he clarified post-race. It was actually a cat that he saw on track in front of the safety car. And then so that was his sprint highlight. Right. And I think I think the Grand Prix highlight that I would you know sort of point out for for Leclerc was when he sat down on Perez's seat in the cool down room. And yeah, then he yeah. said, at least I can keep this seat. Do you want your seat? You know, he was like, you know, that was a winner's seat. Yeah, so so interesting. So typically cute and, and Charles-like, I would say. Hey, no, but you missed his big highlight of the entire weekend, Kunal. We made a specific segment and we talked about it so much. But we missed it over here. I'm so disappointed. But Charles Leclerc finished his primary objective. He got to the end of a race. Oh, hey. No, he got to the he got to the end of two races. <laughs> yeah, he got to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's true as well. But 
on the subject of a cat it's been weird isn't it i think it's been two consecutive championships where we getting to see a cat on track MotoGP had it this weekend formula 1 had it this weekend what's what's up i mean other cats in the world now wanted to get a taste of motor racing it's i know formula 1 tried to put a dog in a car for one of the music videos because again remember 2019 yeah. right formula 1 yeah. where they just came up with the most random ideas one of them was flying me to london paying me 1000 pounds getting me on a studio just to throw rubber on my face and some wind i was like okay sure i'll take it but what's this meant to be i still don't <laughs> get that commercial but they did weird and wild things one of which was putting an actual dog into a formula 1 car and that happened it's it was one of those dj chemical brothers songs or something if i remember it's bad. yeah it's bad it's horrible but okay i'll tell you what let's actually get to the stats review of this race because f1 stats guru and i when we were watching yesterday He was coming up with so many nuggets and there's so many fun things to share. Let's get to that right away. Hey folks, it's time for the stats review of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. My name is Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Guru. Now, you know, Baku was a bit of a dull race, but we always managed to find some very interesting stats and facts for you folks to enjoy. So let's dig in straight to the numbers. First of all, let's talk about Sergio Perez, the king of the streets and someone who always brings something exceptional when it's a race around street circuits. He's taken his sixth career win in Formula 1 and he actually has more wins than Charles Leclerc at this point. But the other thing that he's done is taken the double, winning the sprint as well as winning Sunday's Grand Prix. He's only the third driver to do so after Max Verstappen and Imola and George Russell at Interlagos, both of which happened in 2022. Now, we're all familiar with Red Bull's dominance of lately in the past couple of seasons. Now, Now they've won 14 of the last 15 races. That's only done by one other team in the hybrid era, Mercedes, who actually did it twice between 2014 and 2016. And Red Bull are now at 180 points in the constructor standings, well ahead of Aston Martin, who are in second place. But 180 is the highest points tally after four rounds into the season in any season ever. But do remember, 15 of those 180 points have come from the sprint race itself. And now let's shift focus to Charles Leclerc, the pole sitter, or let's say the double pole sitter, because he was also uh, on pole for the sprint race and he was also on pole for the main Grand Prix on Sunday. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to convert both of those poles into a race win yet again. That's the 15th time that he's actually failed to do it. And his conversion rate of poles to wins is actually sinking even further it's now at 21 percentage and only seven drivers have a worse conversion rate in all of formula 1 but one other thing that you always see at baku is a mercedes powered car on the podium unfortunately we've not seen that this time but fernando alonso came very close to it in the final stages of the race he's still holding on to third in the driver standings for the fourth consecutive race something that's happened for the very first time in the hybrid era and he definitely seems to be enjoying driving that green aston martin this year well that was a stats review of the azerbaijan grand prix i hope you folks enjoyed that for more such interesting stats and facts do follow me on my twitter and instagram under the name f1 stats guru i'll see you folks the next time Welcome back in folks to the Inside Line F1 podcast and the last voice you heard was that of F1 Stats Guru follow him on social media for more such amazing nuggets and it's amazing to hear the kind of numerical stories that Sundaram can bring out on these stories or on the podcast as well but I want to bring in one more story canal before we end out it's Oscar Piastri because it turns out that Oscar Piastri was literally like the rest of us because there was so little to do in the race i mean that left him so gutted that he survived the entire weekend on four pieces of toast uh that's because he was sick actually it's not because the weekend was terrible but that to pull out that sort of performance when you're not really feeling very well it's just a sporting 
sporting story in my mind. And and what they did that McLaren with the floor upgrades to see the car that much more competitive over a one lap distance in my mind is just better for everyone because we now genuinely don't really have a bottom team and a bottom car. AlphaTauri were fantastic this weekend. McLaren are just rising up the bubble as well. Haas, there are some races where they can do well. But it's just generally a good mix, isn't it? And I really want to just give out that credit to Oscar Piastri, who the poor lad has just had the toughest start to a Formula 1 career that he could possibly have. And he's taking it well, actually. Absolutely. And, you know, the the results have been so top-heavy with the top four teams that... uh, Lando Norris finishing sixth in one race means he's the eighth. He's eighth in the drivers' championship with single-digit points, right? Uh, so it's 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 a very top-heavy finish given that four teams are so competitive, and then there's everybody else. I would say Logan Sargent. He's finished sixteenth in three out of the four races that have happened. Nico Hulkenberg. He's in the top ten given his you know good result from Australia. Was it? Yeah. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, he's he's been 18th in two out of the four races. Yuki Tsunoda, 10th in two out of the four races. So it's it's so top heavy the performances that are happening that if you see Max still all the way till uh, you know Stroll, assuming that's the top eight of the drivers' championship, the gap between eighth and ninth is so so big, and then ninth and tenth, everybody's in single digits. So let's hope that. The lower midfield, if we may call it that, or maybe now it's a new midfield, you know, Aston Martin's broken away, are able to keep going, keep adding more development. I mean, Alpine was supposed to catch Mercedes and Baku, and I don't think they caught even the exhaust uh, fumes of Mercedes this weekend. (laughs) Hey, no, they caught the wall quite a fair bit. And they caught hold of all of their soft tyres because at the end of the day, they barely used any because their drivers were consistently over and out uh, all the time. It's it's sort of weird. But one thing was really fun, Kunal. The whole experience of watching the Azerbaijan GP with so many people together in Mumbai. I know it may sound like a cheap plug of our events, but seriously, it's one thing that I have to share because watching a race together with like-minded individuals is something that really changes it, right? Makes it a lot more fun. So even though we had... I'll be honest, an absolute, an absolute bore fest, a snooze fest. Oh, a drone fest, which is what Steve Slater called it on the podcast as well. It just makes it that much better because when you have people to share your ideas on with, it's just exponentially better. And we had an amazing event at Dadar Social in Mumbai yesterday where we, fought, we, we had Formula 1 and MotoGP together. And the crowd was amazing, extremely engaging. And that's just the sort of stuff that we love to do. I think... Why are you coming back here? Because we need to do one screening with you as well. I don't think you've ever attended one of our screenings per se, have you? The Belgian Grand Prix, the most definitely. We'll be doing this together in person in Mumbai. So see you guys right there. I'm already making a plug for it, Samuel. Wait, there we are. But no, it was incredible. So for any of you folks that were part of our event at the other social, genuinely, thank you for taking out the time to be there. I, I can't tell you how much it means to watch the race together with you. And we just hope that we can do more. So there are more plans coming up. Check out our social media for more information on that one. But folks, I suppose it's the end of this particular episode. And thank goodness, the end of the Baku weekend. We can now look forward to Miami and we will have a couple of really fun episodes leading up to that race as well. So stay tuned to the podcast for more of that and subscribe if you liked it. Share this episode with any friends or family members who you think would enjoy this as well. And we shall be back for the Miami preview this time with less banter on a fake marina. I think we're over it. But sure, thank you for watching folks. Thank you for listening and we shall be back. Bye.